Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bath Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditchwitch. Bath Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada and the Versus Network now through June of 2008. Hey guys, it's Outdoors Dan and I've got my good friend and ride alongside, Aaron Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. I'm glad to have you back in the driver's seat on the, on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the slack up for me while I was out trying to kill the birds. Did you have any luck? Um, actually, I am three uh, three for three this year, except for Iowa opened up, and I'm, the turkeys are uh, three and zero against me. <laughs> so it's catching up with me. We've just had really bad weather, and they're hinned up right now. So hopefully this weekend or next week I'll have my bird, and we're done for the TV show for Outdoors Traditions TV this year. Excellent. Well, so, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait for you to see it. I'll bring the popcorn. There we go. Hey, we got a good, uh, we got a great Inside Edge segment this week, and we also got a wonderful angler segment. Scott Suggs is coming up. And uh, we got a whole bunch of other stuff, folks, all right here on the app. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome back on the edge. Outdoors, the Dan, I Can't Kill a Turkey Young. And Aaron Martin, who is, uh, I have no idea what Aaron did. I haven't talked to Aaron in two weeks. I know, you've been out chasing turkeys yeah. and, uh, for, obviously, for your show. And uh, so that that's going to be exciting. I know I know you've had some success, though. Yeah, no, we've been, I've got my grand slam with the bow done. We talked about that already. And, you know, we went to Kansas and shot four birds in three days, which is really, really strong. And uh, But these birds in Iowa are killing me right now. Well, that's exciting. So it's good to have you back. Well, thank you. What what have you been up to? I have been uh, fortunate enough to where we have been doing a little traveling. uh, Filmed um, with Scott Suggs. uh, Have attended the the PAA down in Texas. And then also uh, had the chance to catch up with James Niggemeyer in Indiana. And uh, we did a little filming with him. So uh, it's it's been a, a busy month. Yeah, and you know what? Speaking of busy, a lot of people in the Midwest have been busy with the high water. Um, you know, with all the torrential rains we've had, and it's just been a it's been a bad winter. Let's face it, folks. Oh, we've yeah. had a really really bad winter, and you know, I, I'm a little worried because the high water is everywhere. You know, it is, Dan, and and I just cannot get over the amount of last year. A, a lot of the the locations in that that we went to were under drop conditions, and this right. year it's going to be kind of you know fishing the floods. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts the the fishing, and and then also just if we get any more rain. Yeah, well, there's still the good news is fish are still going to spawn. It's just it might be in your front yard, folks. No question, no yeah. question. I was talking with a buddy of mine, uh, I think last week, and his particular pattern that he was on preparing for this tournament was. Uh, Telephone poles in the front yards, <laughs> and that is no <laughs> joke. <laughs> so, that's crazy, isn't yeah, it? it is. It is. Yeah, that's crazy. Hey, what's this Bama Jamma thing? Oh yeah, you missed out on that. I, I, uh, we are going to be uh, obviously taking part in the Bama Jam, and essentially what that is, it's about thirty to thirty-two bands. Uh, Lawrence wow. Skinner, Trace Atkins, uh, Hank Williams Jr. But Bass Edge is having a major part of that. They're going to actually be playing Bass Edge on the big jumbotrons. There's three different stages, a bluegrass stage, a rock stage, and then a country music stage. They're expecting about eighty to 100,000 people. 
Uh, so we'll have a booth there, be giving away a lot of stuff, uh, doing some interviews with some of the stars and that. And so we look forward to it. Love to have everybody down there. It's actually on our website now. When is this? Uh, June 5th through the 7th. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, once again, oh, outdoors again, <laughs> left in the well, lurch. You know? I, I didn't want to call your cell phone and take a chance of spooking off your turkey. Uh, well, you're talking about Hank, so <laughs> Hank Jr., come on. I, I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, for Hank, I don't care if the bird gets, I mean, Hank and I could talk hunting. The good news is, though, Dan, I yeah. do have you a ticket. To go, oh, because thanks. these tickets are about, I think they're like $150 uh, for the three days, but that's all exclusive. You know, you get to go to that. We will be giving tickets away here on the podcast and through the website. So, Well, that's exciting. Very exciting. There you Looking go. To all right, folks, a lot of good stuff for you right there. we got to run and take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to talk to the Sugman, Mr. Mr. And I do say this very affectionately because he is the 2008 FLW Cup winner of over a million bucks. Mr. Scott Suggs, right here on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us today is the first Forest Wood Cup million-dollar winner, and that is Scott Sugg. Scott, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, it's great to be here. Before we kind of, you know, segue into some of the other things that we're going to talk about, you know, how much did winning that million dollars change your life? Well, you know, I always like to say it's it never really changed me as a person. It just changed my agenda. I have become tons more busy than I've ever been in my entire life or during my career. Um, I'm tugged at, it seems like, from other, uh, you know, every direction and everything. But, you know, as far as me as a person, it, it's not changed me. Or I, And I honestly, I don't want it to even, I don't even want the thought of it changing me as a person, just my agenda. Sure. You know, and and I'm sure with that, um, because I know you well enough to know that, you know, you love meeting people and you love the opportunity to share, you know, the sport with others, you know, but I'm sure that has become a scheduling, a little bit of a scheduling challenge to be able to have enough of Scott Suggs to go around and still be able to, you know, do your sponsors justice and and also have family time. You know, it is. And my wife, she's great with this, uh, with the scheduling and all that. And, you know, that was the main thing that, when after all this happened, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't ever say, you know, I, I just never wanted to say no. Sure. I want to try to do everything I possibly can. This is a chance of a lifetime, and I want to take every advantage of it possible. And I wanted, you know, I'm not going to lie, whenever it comes down to it, I'm like every person dream would be, I'd, you know, I want that, I want to be a part of one of those household names. You bet. And to do that, you can't turn anything down. You want to, every opportunity that comes your way, you want to take advantage of it. And that's the main thing. And, you know, the biggest fear I had in all this was missing something. You know, if someone called me, not getting a call back to them or missing an interview, missing this or that. And unbelievably, through all this, I've not missed one thing. And we've, we've met our schedule all the way. And 
I felt like that's a pretty major accomplishment in itself. Well, you know, Scott, it really is, and I think uh, I think that says a lot about you as not only as an angler but also as a person. And, and you know, my belief is that if you're a champion individual, uh, whether that be as an angler or as a business person or anything, that runs far deeper than just at your particular trade or craft that you happen to do. That goes well beyond into your personal life and in your family life, and I certainly think that uh, that you continue to demonstrate that. I'm gonna, I, I try, and I'm going to continue to do my best at it. Like I said, this is this is a once in a lifetime, you know, deal, and I want to. I try to. I try to be a part of everything I can possibly, you know, be a part of, and and I may not ever get this opportunity again. Sure. Well, I'm confident enough with the way you fish and, and that uh, you're going to be around for a long time and certainly be a household name, and, and we're certainly looking forward to, to having you uh, not only here on the edge but also involved with BassEdge.com and then the upcoming television show for 09. You know, and kind of segueing now, uh, from our listeners' perspective, we have a lot of recreational anglers that uh, perhaps, you know, just fish on a recreation, from a recreation standpoint, maybe don't compete, but also one of the, the items that we get a lot of feedback, and kind of my personal philosophy is as well, that, you know, whether you formally compete in a tournament or just go out to have fun for the day, it's always a competition because the competition is between the angler and the fish. So I would like for you to, to walk us through your tournament preparation and really your practice you know, leading up uh, to that event? You know, do you try and get on each lake prior to the off-limits, or perhaps you could shed some light on that? No, I don't. I, You know, even if I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, a, a brand-new lake or whatever, I don't like to because in our tournaments we have a two-week off-limit period. And usually in the times of the year that we're going there, usually in the spring, pre-spawn, spawn, post-spawn, two weeks means the world. You know, fish can change totally in two weeks. And, yes, you can go familiarize yourself with the lake, but like this year with the rains we've had, the changing water levels, um, you go and you practice two weeks ahead of time and you get on something, and then you go back, and if you start having a little trouble trying other things and you rely on what you found two or three weeks prior to that and you wind up staying confused the whole time. Sure. You wind up fishing the past, in other words. That's right. So what I like to do is I like to go into a lake and I like to look at the map. And each lake has a shape of something that you're familiar with. And what I try to do is I try to use a, a, a little bit of Lake Washita contour and a little bit of Lake Hamilton. And I'm real bad to fish flatter type areas of a lake. So if there's an area on a whole entire lake, there might be, so let's say 5,000 acres of this lake may have big flats that go out and drop off and things like that, and it's stuff that I'm familiar with and fish a lot, then that's where I'm going to concentrate my time, you know, practicing for a tournament on that particular body of water. And I also do it, um, I go into these based on what time of the year it is and what ta- what stage I think these fish are at, whether they're on a winter-type pattern, a pre-spawn, a, a spawn, a post-spawn, summertime pattern, or fall. And depending on what time of the year I'm on these bodies of water, I know by looking at these contour maps, and like in the fall, for example, I love to fish drains, ditches, creek channels, and stuff like that. So I'm going to go to a map, and I love to fish them with flats off of them instead of just a deep ravine coming in because that gives the fish a a place to come out with a turn in a flat or something that drops off into a creek channel. It gives them a really good point that, 
or a, a, a spot that you can go in and key on maybe a school of fish instead of just one or two fish. And every tournament, every lake I go to, even lakes I've been to before based on what time of the year that I'm going in this particular tournament, I break down each lake the same way with a map and the time of the year it is and all that. And you run yourself so thin on a 50,000-acre lake thinking you can cover it in four days of practice because that's all we're allowed. So what I like to try to do is I like to try to pick out a section of the lake, let's say one-fourth of the lake, and I concentrate all of my practice time in that area, and uh, you know, and that's that's what I usually fish in the tournament. So you're looking really for high percentage areas. That's exactly right. Stuff that I'm familiar with, that that fish just like my lakes do at home. Whether it, if it is a reservoir, now if it's a if it's a river system or something like that, then I'll approach it a little bit different. Still based on what the fish are doing. If it's pre-spawn. And if it's spawn along in there, then of course, if it's a if it's a current related type river like the Arkansas River or whatever, I'm going to fish backwater. So, how but, long do you normally stay on the water during each practice day? Uh, daylight till dark. Daylight till dark. So, are, is is that something that okay? Once once you've kind of identified on your map and you've done really your your pre I guess planning prior to hitting the water, uh, we're on the water now, and, and you've identified the areas that you want to concentrate on these high percentage areas. Are you going to set the hook on fish in practice? I, I set the hook everywhere I go. I set the hook if there's nobody around watching, you know, or, you know, a boat too close or anything. I set the hook, and if it's a, if it's a good solid fish, then I'll take a rod rigged identically the same way, and I'll throw it back in there, but I'll have it fixed where I can't, you know, I cannot hook a fish. I'll either have the hook rolled over or cut totally the in, uh, the barb cut totally off the point, and I'll just see if I can get another bite. And if I throw into a place and I catch a small fish that I know is going to do no good in a tournament, I'll fire back in there. I may catch 10 small ones and rule that spot out until I see the kind of quality of fish that I'm looking for for a tournament. But if I get bit, like I said, right off the bat, and I catch one, and I know it's a good fish, I'll see if there's another bite there on a rod that I can't hook him with. And then I'm gone. I go to the next one. So is is that kind of your, you know, with with the limited amount of practice, we're dealing with multiple day tournaments uh, in your case. Uh-huh. Is is that kind of your, I guess, rule of thumb where if you catch one, your second cast or second flip back in there is going to be with, you know, with something where you can't hook them. Once you feel that tug, then you're that's pretty much a spot you're going to go back to for a tournament. That's exactly where I'm going back to. And another thing, like you say, um, you you know, the talk around where a lot of us guys are really close on the tour and everything, and you've got, you, you'll have an idea before the first day of competition what kind of weights you're looking at and what kind of weights you're going to need. And say if I went in, I had me a 11-hole milk run plan for the tournament, and uh, I get, by the second tournament I've got 16 pounds in the live well, and I feel like that after all the talk that's out and everything, that I'm going to be in really good shape, you know, with that kind of weight. I'm talking really good shapes like 25th or above because usually if you're in 25th or above, you're not very far out of a tournament. And if I do that by the second hold or whatever, I'll go try other stuff. I'll not, I will not make the rest of my milk run. I'll save it for the next day. It's shifting gears just a little bit, for an angler who is trying to get, 
aspires to be Scott Suggs. What advice, you know, can you give or can you offer that that would help them kind of get started in this? You know, do you do you suggest maybe starting as a co-angler, maybe joining a club? Um, perhaps you could kind of map out map out your thoughts on that. The, here was my deal. I was very fortunate, and I was able to. Um, I've always ha- been able to locate fish, and and I was always able to. You know, I started fishing tournaments with my dad when I was like 14, and we just carried it on from there. And I was able to start winning at a very young age around home here and everything. And I just carried it right on and never was in the back of the boat. That's kind of a difference between, you know, people that you have to look at and they have to look at and not meaning in any way bad or anything like that. But more experience you have, and the better you've done in local tournaments, whether it's team tournaments or club tournaments or, what you know, draw tournaments, whatever it is, then that's more got you prepared to go, you know, move on up into the rankings and into the size of tournaments you finish as a boater. Now, I've got some guys around here that started eight or ten years ago, nowhere near as long as I, you know, as I have been doing it. And they've kind of asked me this same question. And the number one thing that I can tell anybody that feels like they have, that they do not have the experience that's needed to be on the front of the boat right now is to fish the co-angler spot. You can get in the back of the boat with some of the best teachers in the entire world and learn more in two to three years of being a co-angler than it took me my entire life to pick up on. And that, I think, is what's got the fishing, the level of competition to where it's at today is is being able to have these co-anglers that learn and pick up on stuff so fast. They're learning how to locate them, learn how, what kind of structure they're holding on, how to fish for them when they're out there, if they're suspended, how to fish for them. They, they just, they're learning so much stuff that I've spent hours upon hours teaching myself and learning myself on the water instead of just being able to learn it in two days, you know. Yeah, there's no question that you know that the that the learning curve is has obviously gotten a lot steeper for anglers that are getting into the sport, and it's, and it's a great time to be in the sport for the reasons that you just named. And I know when I was a co-angler, I certainly always looked back that that was kind of like my tuition. You know, I was basically there. Of course, I loved to compete, but it was there to learn. And what an opportunity! You know, to be able to get on the same lake with a couple different pros who obviously know uh, what they're doing and just to experience how they break down a body of water. Um, you know, I guess one question that, that I want to kind of throw out there that, that always seems to come to mind, and, and there's differing opinions, but do you suggest, suggest rather trying to perfect, you know, a skill or a bait presentation first, or do you think it's really more advantageous to, to have somewhat of a, you know, general knowledge about numerous techniques? I'll tell you what, the more anglers that that re- you see their name more so than others are the anglers that are more versatile. The angler that is able to pick a wacky worm up and sink it beside a boat dock and the same angler that's, that can pick up a, a table rock pattern, pick up a kaolin grub and throw it in 80 foot of water and maintain a 25 foot depth swimming it through trees and can pick up a jig and flip it in a bush and jerk one out of the middle of a bush. I mean, there's there's a Texas rig, there's a, you know, Carolina rig, and there's so many things out there in so many ways. And 
most of the time, if you look, a lot of the tournaments, if you kept up with them, they're one on a different pattern, each one. There's not really like a jig doesn't win every single tournament. And and that's another thing right there that I've learned in the last four years myself that I've really kind of widened my horizon with is the different techniques now. I fish a jig four or five different ways now. I mean, it's probably one of my best weapons than before. It was probably my weakest point. So being more versatile is way beyond just picking up one deal and trying to go with it. Sure. So, Scott, in our really in our last uh, closing seconds here, are the days of, of fishing professionally and, you know, being able to maintain, a, I guess, a supplemental income or, a, or another job besides just fishing, are, are those days over? No. I mean, you know, the hardest part about right now in the fishing industry, and I know these guys, and this is the only thing that really bothers me about tournament fishing, is the way the economy's getting and with gas prices and everything. That's the only way that a person would have to rely on fishing, you know, another job to carry his fishing, especially in the professional level. Um, the economy's so bad right now, and the gas prices the way they are. I'll tell you what, myself, I really see uh, team tournaments probably growing and growing in the next few years. And uh, because of gas prices, people can split the cost and everything. But, you know, other than that, and I don't know, really know how to answer your question, sure. but, you know, you can make a living fishing. Absolutely. Well, and, and the other thing, uh, you know, as far as the increase in team tournaments, the camaraderie there, you know, that, that's certainly the positive out of all that. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, Scott, I mean, we are out of time. I know uh, I am certainly looking forward to we're going to get to spend some time together down on Caddo Lake, and I'm sure you will have me uh, – laughing like you always do and I, and I look forward to that and I think that'll be a great time uh, that'll be coming up but uh, before we get out of here any closing thoughts or, or comments before we we get out of here you know I'd really like to hear from the from the different people the different anglers I guess we might say and uh, you know they can always go to uh, um, ask the pro section on BassEdge.com, and, uh, you know, I'll receive the question and everything, and I'll do my best to get the answers out and hopefully the right one. And, Scott, I know you well enough, just like you said earlier, you've never missed a question or a reply, and uh, we certainly thank you for that. And also, you know, really thank you for your time on the edge. Hey, it's been a blast. I've enjoyed every minute. Like I said, he's the man, a million-dollar winner on the 2008 FLW Cup. And you know what? You're going to be fishing with him next year. That's right. All I want to know is, I know I've won maybe a dollar fifty or something, but what am I going to get on Bass Edge TV? Uh, My little brother keeps asking me about that. <laughs> you know, when's Aaron going to have you on the show? I go, well, I'm a hunter, Rick. Exactly. That well, but but that would be a great show because he'd smoke you. <laughs> I don't know about that. That'd be like the equivalent of me trying to go with you and uh, you know kill uh, a grand slam that that might be a, a lifelong well I, I mean i could fish but i mean <laughs> yeah. come on i'm not i'm not a professional bass fisherman I, i'm a i'm a good fisherman but i mean but i just keep waiting for you know i'll spike my hair if that's what it takes hey, you I, know you it does definitely you've got to go it's, it's all in the brain of the hair gel yeah okay all right. right so so once again folks he's evaded the question when am i going to be fishing with him on tv i will i'll have my people call your people yeah that's what you said three years ago <laughs> but anyway i'm digressing let's talk about scott Suggs. since you're going to be fishing with him next year where are you going to be fishing at on down on kettle lake and uh scott is not only i mean he's just hilarious 
you know, to have him in the boat and, and be around him, the guy just never, ever stops. And I thought, just like his interview, one of the things that he brought us back to, you know, when you think about winning a million dollars and you think about preparing for tournaments and, and, and really getting into your fishing day, I thought Scott is just so meticulous on how he breaks down, but yet he, he simplifies it. In mm-hmm. other words, he pulls up to a spot, he looks at, he does his map research first, kind of breaks that down. He doesn't get overwhelmed with the, the body of water that he's fishing. He just says, I am going to concentrate in this particular area with his map. Then from there, he, he goes out and fishes it. He sets the hook. He wants to know exactly what is what type of fish are holding, you know, on those spots. And, you know, he just goes to work. And I think that's, that's there's a lot to be said for that. Well, absolutely. You know, just because you win uh, or you're successful in whatever you're doing, you know, look at you and I. Well, let's talk about me because, you know, that is my favorite subject. <laughs> but, um, you know, honestly, I, I've been very blessed in my life. I, you know, I just celebrated my 11th year on the air. And, you know, there's people back, you know, where I come from that I'd never make it. And, you know what, I don't forget that because that keeps me grounded. You know, I am no better and I never will be any better than anybody else. I've just been very blessed to get to do what I do. I work hard at it. But you know what, when you sit there and do something 24-7, you are going to become successful because you have a passion for it. Well, and, the, and you're exactly right, Dan, and that is, you know, I thought Scott said it best in his interview when I asked the question, and, I, and I'm sure he's gotten asked this a hundred times, how has the million dollars changed you? And he said, you know, really, other than making my life a lot busier because of, you know, being the first one to do that, he said, you know, one of the things that he set out to do was it not change him as a person. And mm-hmm. he is still the same guy, and uh, it comes from what you speak of pursuing your passion and going after it and just staying grounded. So hats off to Scott. I thought that was a great interview. Well, I, I did too. And you know what? He's right. He's going to be more successful because the people in, in the industries, in the outdoors industries that think that they are better or they're you know above everybody else, they don't laugh. Well, I've said it many times. If you are a champion at your particular trade, those qualities go well beyond into your personal life, relationships, what have you. Um, and Scott is certainly representative of that. I think you're exactly right. All right, folks, we've got to get another break in here. When we come back, you're going to get to go on the inside edge, and I think you're going to like this one. We'll be right back. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Joining us for this week's Inside Edge is another uh, repeat guest, which is Bob Lusk, who has spent 29 years as a fisheries biologist and founder of the Pond Boss magazine. Bob, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Hey, Aaron. Thanks a lot, buddy. Glad to be here. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you on as you are a wealth of information. And, you know, we're going to get right to it, Bob. Uh, One of the questions that I get asked probably, I would say certainly ranks in the top ten, is the difference from, or between, I should say, northern bass and then the Florida strain. Could you shed maybe some some light on both from a biology perspective, but also, you know, from an angler's perspective? Sure, you bet. I tell you, when I first started in the fisheries management business and started working with bass back in the very early 80s, I learned from a guy up in Kansas named Buzz Hartley. And Buzz Hartley raised native largemouth bass, and I, I, 
I learned how to handle the fish. I learned how they behaved. And when I said, well, what do you think about Florida bass? He said, ah, there's no difference between those fish. Well, <laughs> Aaron, I, I learned that that wasn't quite right. He knew what he was he knew what he was doing with his fish, but let me tell you what I've seen and what I've learned. Uh, native largemouth bass don't get nearly as large as their Florida cousins, but they grow faster when they're younger and they're gr- more aggressive. I kind of look at a Florida strain bass as a gray poupon bass. They're a little more finicky, and I didn't really start to understand that till I started having clients four or five years into the stocking of their lake and management that started to call me and say, hey, Bob, listen, I, I can't catch these dadgum bass. What's going on with them? I think they're gone. And then I'd haul my electrofishing boat over there, and we'd launch it and shock up some of the most beautiful bass that you've ever seen. One day the point was really driven home to me. I was at a fish hatchery in, in Alabama, some friends of mine, an American sport fish, and they had their brood fish up. They had some Florida strain bass in this giant fiberglass tank, and they had their northern bass and another giant fiberglass tank. And I asked Barry Smith there that day, I said, Barry, you know, my clients are telling me there's a big difference between Floridas and natives. And he said, well, there is. He said, watch this. And he got a bucket full of goldfish, and he went and poured it into the tank that probably had 250 big native largemouth bass tagged and had every one of them identified so he could tell which fish were which. And he poured those goldfish in there, and it was like a piranha feeding frenzy. Those bass went crazy. And within 30 minutes, they'd eaten every one of those goldfish. He said, now watch this. They needed the very same thing, poured it into that tank full of Florida bass. They didn't even move. Wow. Then, it, then in a minute, one ate a goldfish. Then another one ate a goldfish. He said, now these goldfish, they'll eat them, but it'll take them a day and a half. That's when I really began to understand the differences. So that's, that's where I'll start with the conversation. So is that because of metabolism? No, I don't think it has a thing to do with metabolism. I believe that's something that's just genetically bred into them. The Florida bass have a tendency to be more finicky and maybe eat a larger meal and expend less effort than the native bass. The native bass are always on the prowl. They're always aggressive, chasing things, feeding. But the Florida bass are a little bit, I'm not going to say lethargic, their metabolism rates are about the same. They have the same feed requirements. And, you know, early on I used to think, well, golly, there's, there's these 13- and 14-pound bass in these lakes that I'm managing. And I, just, I think it's the fisherman's problem. Well, it's not. The, the, here's the, the problem, if we want to call it that. Think about it this way. A 13-pound bass did not get to be 13 pounds because it didn't eat. Sure. It eats. <laughs> and it eats a lot, but it eats bigger. As a native bass that weighs four, five, or six pounds, that's the same age as, say, a 10-pound Florida bass, those native bass are running around chasing abundant small bits of forage fish, such as maybe a six-inch bass or a shad, where these larger Florida bass, especially when they get big, they do this, they'll lie in wait, they'll be more of an ambush predator where they'll sit, but when they do go out and actively forage, they're chasing big, big meals. You know, a 13-pound bass will eat a two-pound bass. That's dinner, where a six-pound bass might eat 15 shad that are six inches long, and that's dinner. So it's all relative. It's all relative. That's exactly right. Well, and, you know, one of the the things that I think all anglers have experienced, and and perhaps you could shed your professional expertise on, is the the effects of of a funnel system, or cold front in this case specifically, as well as current. You know, I've, I've personally experienced what seems like 
you know, a negative impact more so on the Florida strain than, per se, on the native bass. Is that true? They, yes, it is. They, they don't like cold. Cold gives them a kind of an, an endemic native trigger that's, that's structured into their genetics. As a matter of fact, Florida strain bass can't live north of the Mason-Dixon line. As a matter of fact, they can't live much farther north than if you, when you draw a line from Albuquerque to New Mexico to about Nashville, Tennessee. Cold weather in Florida bass don't work really well. Hot weather with Florida bass works great. That's the better environment for those guys. So hence, that's why they're basically, whenever you have a frontal system move through, that really everything just shuts down. Yes, but the Florida bass are going to be more likely to shut down. Although, although when they're getting ready to spawn in you know, cold weather, uh, when you start seeing a few bluebird days in January and February, the Florida bass are beginning to stage before the native bass because their eggs are going to develop a little bit more quickly. They're going to feed up themselves to get those eggs ready to go. So, you know, when you, when you go catch a giant bass in February or March pre-spawn, almost every time that's going to be some version of a Florida bass, whether it's a pure strain fish or a 60-40 genetic split, you know, or an F1 cross where a native crossed with a Florida. Those fish, their tendencies are to become more active before the native fish do during their spawn. Well, in, a, in our last 30 seconds here, is current play any role uh, kind of in that mix? Well, current can play a role. As a matter of fact, when you look at a Florida bass, a large one, next to a native bass, a Florida bass is actually a little bit more slender side to side, so they can handle the current better than a native bass can. A native bass is going to probably head more toward the eddies, where the Florida bass is not nearly as worried about dealing with the currents, but it does make them move and stage differently from shallow to deep. Bob, unfortunately, we are out of time, but it's always a pleasure to, to have you as part of the Edge. Uh, just for our listeners' sake, how can they get in touch with you? You know, they can send an email through Bass Edge, uh, your website, or they can contact me at pondboss.com. Well, Bob, once again, it's always a pleasure, and we look forward to uh, talking with you again here in a few weeks. All the best, Aaron. Thanks. Thank you. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. Yeah, I tell you what, folks, I hope you enjoyed Bob Bluff there. That was a good inside edge. And, you know, the man knows the stuff because he is the editor of Pond Bass. Wouldn't you say that, Aaron, Mr. Martin? Actually, he is, and he's also the editor, editor of Pond Boss. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, see, you're not going to slip it past me. But, no, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of questions, and myself included, you know, on the difference between the Florida strain and then the northern or the native bass. Mm-hmm. And, uh I look forward to it. He's, he's going to be on here. You're, you're going to hear from him probably every six to eight weeks. And oh, I that's think awesome. he just brings and, a new twist. And see, folks, Aaron does pay attention. <laughs> you just do that to me just on on purpose. I thought you wouldn't catch it, to be honest with you, but you did. You're on the ball today. I am on the ball. Hey, we got to do, um, uh, we got a listener email, and I know this is going to be kind of leap, but this, ep- this episode or segment, folks, is brought to you by D.A.R.E. Don't forget, check into your local D.A.R.E. program. We want to keep everyone safe. And Speaking of, you'll see why we're doing this. Uh, Aaron, can you tell me what the world's going on with this California 420? Uh, absolutely. I, I want to, uh, first off, I want to thank uh, 
actually Philip and then also Jeff um, received a couple emails, and I'll try and summarize the story. Bottom line, when I filmed, when Kurt Dove and I filmed together on the Potomac, uh, we were using a, uh, a Sweet Beaver by Reaction Innovation Lures. Of course, they have no affiliation with Bass Edge, but it was a bait, obviously, that we throw, and it works, so therefore we show it on television. Well, they have some just very odd choices of names. A lot of them I'm not going to go into, but one in particular that I had used on that on that show was actually called California 420. And I had mentioned on the show that I had no idea where the name of that particular bait. Some of the other names that they come up with are pretty obvious, and and uh, you know I must say that they kind of really skate the fence on on what is proper. But we're not going to get into that conversation. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I said I didn't know where that came from, but I showed the color. Well, our good friend Philip uh, had sent us in a message who is also a narcotics officer, and basically what that has to do with uh, is marijuana that <laughs> comes out of a certain area. The 420 um, is, is often called by users of the drug, so indicating where it comes from. So anyway, my apologies uh, to our listeners and to our audience for my ignorance concerning uh, the, the uh the name and, and the origination of, of California 420 and referencing a drug. So, well, yeah. first off, I don't think you need to apologize because that just shows that you're a good guy and yeah. you're not out there doing drugs. <laughs> Second of all, I, I, I listen, I'm 44 years old and I and I do two or three radio shows a week. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, so and that just means I'm ignorant on the drug <laughs> subject. But you know what? That's why I said, folks, this segment is brought to you by D.A.R.E. because exactly. we, we care and we want to make sure kids... Don't even get around any 420. There we and go. We mean that very sincerely. <laughs> That's right. So, and uh, you need to send Philip some Bama Jama tickets. We uh, we're we're gonna get him some stuff his way, and then uh, hey, yeah. and listen to the PS on the email, folks. You're gonna love this. He goes, I recently just caught 383 pounds of marijuana heading from San Antonio. It's just like fishing. Way to go, Philip. Yep. Way to set the hook. Keep buddy. our keep our uh, streets safe, and thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. God bless him, man. Hey, I don't know what's going on next week. Do you? Um, no, I'll tell you when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know either. I have no clue. So, yeah, um, see, I go turkey hunting for two weeks. It just falls apart. Absolutely. Yeah, well, so it'll you're gonna, be a great show. I can promise you that. Yeah, well, it's always good when you're on. Don't forget to send in your listener questions for the Ask the Pro segments. You can go to BassEdge.com. Our email is right there. Don't forget the newsletter is going out. The newsletter looks absolutely wonderful. The only thing that would be better on there is a tribute to Outdoors Dan, but that's not going to happen either. Yep. <laughs> what was that? No, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I heard a yep in there somewhere. <laughs> also, uh, no, actually, and I'm being facetious when I say that guy. Um, very, very good in uh, content this month, so make sure you check that out, BassEdge.com. And that's how you get a hold of Aaron or I. Both of our emails are there. And make sure to include your contact information and shipping information because you never know. You might get some Bama Jamma tickets. You might get a Bassett shirt. You might get some ardent, uh, wonderful, what's that stuff called, butter? Yeah, real butter and the yeah. real grease. Yeah, so, you know, there's always something that we could throw at you. Yeah, so and make sure, and like you said, Dan, I can't stress that enough because the downside is I've got a couple memos from our office that they've had to skip over. Uh, some of the you know the weekly or the the prize drawings in that because there isn't any shipping information so well, just there to make go. sure they get their stuff. That's, All right, that's Aaron, why you haven't got yours, Dan. Well, I, I, it's in the mail, right? <laughs> hey, and also if you're downloading this on iTunes, please don't forget to uh, rate us as much as you can because we want to make sure that information. And thank you to everyone that downloads us from iTunes, and it is absolutely free. So thank you for doing that. And uh, when can we they see us on TV, Aaron? Oh, I'm sorry. 
When can they see you on TV, Aaron? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Saturday morning, 7.30 Eastern Time. Tuesday mornings, 10.30 Eastern Time. That's Versus? That is Versus Country. Uh, Wild TV, is, uh, it's on like four times a week. So Check your local list. Exactly. All right, folks. For Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan. we got to scoot. Thank you so much for putting up with us on this podcast. We will see you next week right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.